Hey everybody, I'm Chris. It's so good to have you in God's house uh, today. What a gift. This week, this last week has been a, a pretty remarkable week in the life of our church. We had Trevor Hudson with us on Tuesday, South African pastor, author, spiritual director. He taught on Cycle of Grace, which we speak about pretty regularly here at Trinity. I believe that was recorded. It'll end up on our podcast thread. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Um, Tuesday was so great. So many of you came out. And then uh, through the remainder of the week, we saw a bishop consecrated in this building yesterday. It was like the fanciest thing that's ever happened at Trinity for sure. Uh, and we had a party on Friday night with bluegrass and barbecue and tons of people from across our wider Anglican world uh, came. And a lot of you were here as well. Uh, there are actually some Anglican pastors that are with us today in the church uh, that stayed around. And we just want to say we're so glad you are here. We welcome you and we're honored at Trinity to be a part of a big family. Uh, and we got super dressed up. So if you, uh, I think there's some photographic evidence of uh, a few of us wearing robes and collars and all that stuff. So uh, you can spot some of your friendly fasters in that picture if you'd like to scrutinize it later. Um, our senior warden Barrett has taken the photo of me wearing a robe and made it the image on uh, my, in his address book. So whenever I call or text him, I pop up in a white robe with a red stole. So you're welcome. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 18. I'm going to warn you that uh, today is a very painfully practical teaching from Jesus about conflict and relationships. And there have been times in my life where I wish that Jesus were more esoteric about these kinds of things, that he would just say, you know, it would just be so great if, but he doesn't do that here. He gives us very concrete uh, steps and admonition around steps to take when we experience offense and sin in relationships within the church. And so I just want you to be aware that, that we're going to be going there and letting Jesus say what he wants to say. And that it will maybe, I, I actually would go further than maybe, it'll hopefully result in um, many of us uh, having potentially some uncomfortable conversations as we learn how to be the kinds of people who listen to Jesus uh, by dealing with sin and hurt and pain and keeping short accounts. Uh, I don't have to know your business to know that many of us walk into this room uh, with a, a large accumulation of unaddressed offense. Uh, some of you uh, with people that you share a bed with, uh, others uh, people that you know in, in your uh, neighborhood group or people that are in your wider group of friends. And so we're, we're going to let Jesus uh, say things to us today that, that will undoubtedly make us feel uh, somewhat uncomfortable. Um, I think that's actually his intention as he moves us toward healing and health. So I'm going to read and then we're going to pray and then we're going to jump right in. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven again. Truly, I tell you that if two of you 
agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. Jesus says, I am there with him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. First, I want to say this. Those words come from Jesus. Uh, Jesus is smarter than all of us. It's tempting sometimes when we approach the Bible to think, well, those people knew this, this, and this, and we're more modern, so we now know more about how to live and how to think and how to relate. And I just want to say that our, our faith received teaches us that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And I would go further echoing thinkers such as Dallas Willard and others to say that Jesus is the smartest one to ever walk the face of this planet. And he has something to say about relationships. Just to say it at the very beginning, Jesus is intensely interested in your relationships. He cares a lot about our relationships. He also knows that relationships are really hard. Let's, let's start at the end. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. And that two or three gathered at the end of this passage, that is a really often quoted text, right? Like, you know, wherever two or three. So if like I get together with you and we go to a coffee shop, like Jesus is there with us, like that's the way we tend to think of it. But it's really important to recognize that those words are spoken on the very tail end of a teaching from Jesus about how to deal with conflict and specifically bringing two or three together in, in conflict where a, a, a sin or an offense is known and you bring it to. Jesus is saying, I, I'm there when you do that. I also have heard somebody say that Jesus knows he has to show up when two or three Christians are gathered because he knows he's got to break up a fight. And there's probably some truth to that as well. Here's the problem I think we have. Number one, not only are relationships really hard, um, we are largely conflict avoidant as a society. We, and, and Christians, I think, are sometimes doubly conflict avoidant because we've, we've been taught to be nice or we think we've been taught to be nice. And we think that oftentimes being nice means avoiding or ignoring uh, things that would be uncomfortable for us to face or to address. And so what we tend to do is we like ignore, 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 overreact, or depending on your personality, we ignore, 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 retreat and shut off and wall off. And then there's a lot of confusion in relationships. And so I think one of the things that the Lord wants us to do is to recognize that the teaching from Jesus in Matthew 18 is not about kicking people out of church. That's the sad reality is that even some of us probably, it's like you, you hear that, those five verses read and you just think, what? what? We're now kicking people out of church? The whole point of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18 is to move us toward hope, healing, and reconciliation. That's the whole point of the passage is about winning brothers and sisters back who exchanging enmity 
for reconciliation. That's the whole point. And so these steps that we're going to look at that come directly from Jesus are very practical. Rather than being a catalyst, they are speed bumps to slow us down from doing what we are prone to do, which is to cut people off and shut people out and move away from one another. This is designed to keep us hanging in relationship longer than we often would feel comfortable doing. So the whole purpose of this moment of teaching from Jesus is to move us toward winning brothers and sisters over. That language is so important because it implies that we have lost something when we are at odds and not dealing with reality and therefore winning one another back is the hope. That is the goal. I will say this, some of us are not ready for this Matthew 18 in a particular relationship and that's okay. If you're not ready for moving toward reconciliation, and we're gonna say a lot about various reasons why we might not be ready. One being a person is entirely unsafe. The other is that our heart is just not ready to go there yet. Like we still feel so raw and so hurt that we're not actually ready. There have been times in my own life where I wasn't actually ready for reconciliation because I was confused or hurting or afraid or, or totally unaware that something was even wrong. So today, what I don't want you to hear is that Jesus is going to make you do something. It's okay sometimes to hear the teachings of Jesus and say, I'm not yet there. But what this does do is it gives us an idea of a telos, a, a goal, a target that says the hope of God is that relationships within the family of God would not be impaired permanently. And in order for healing to happen, we have to do something about it. So whether you're not ready today or not, God's hope is that we would be ready at some point to do the very hard work, the scary work of facing brokenness in our relationship. So here's how it works. Number one, a breach in a relationship occurs. A wrong is committed, a sin. And sometimes both parties know and other times one person is very aware of the injury and the other one might be partially aware or not aware at all. But a wrong is committed, a hurt is experienced. And the, the Jesus tone here is that the sin is a, a meaningful one. It's a significant one. It's not like I just, you voted for the wrong person, so I just hate your guts. Now, if that feels super significant to you, like buckle up, because the next couple of years are gonna be an adventure. <laughs> but it's, it's like a meaningful thing that happens. And I believe that it's actually really important that we are able to admit when wrongs happen. First to ourselves so that we can speak to God so that we can hopefully then speak to other people about the wrongs that are committed. And this gets us to a real challenge in our wider culture. I don't know how well we do this. I don't know that we live in reality oftentimes. And so a lot of times, depending on your personality, you'll just ignore accumulating hurts and wrongs caustic words said, an attitude, a, a cutting remark, a, an issue or a, a time of neglect or something that feels like in the moment, like I'll just let it go. But we know that we don't let it go. We can't let it go. It's like we keep score inside whether we do outside with our words or not. And oftentimes those things then accumulate and become something really, really big. Have you ever had a reaction to someone where your moment of reactivity felt incommiserate to whatever just happened? 
It's probably because you haven't been living in reality. You haven't been acknowledging wrongs and then they catch up to you. So the first step is to acknowledge reality that wrongs have been committed. For healing to occur, we have to name reality. For Jesus to come and do something, we have to acknowledge that something needs doing. And for some of us, this is really, really hard work. Acknowledging reality is sometimes the most scary thing to do. To be able to tell yourself and to tell the Lord, God can't heal that which we don't name and ask him to heal. And again, remember, this is all about the hope for healing in relationships. Now, on the other side, it's possible that you have injured someone without really knowing it or considering the extent to which you have injured someone. So every single one of us in this room must be prepared for a conversation to happen after this service that will make you feel defensive or confused. Like, oh God, I didn't know I had hurt you. And we're going to talk about how to do and how to not do those kinds of conversations where we lean into what Jesus is saying. But all of us have to recognize that we need to be open to the possibility that we have created injury without knowing. There have been so many times in my life where I've left a wake of things that have caused turbulence and I've just been moving right on through and maybe only partially aware. We have to actually lean toward uncomfortable conversations. And that means that we have to face reality, a right-sized reality, not too big, but definitely not too small. Number two, once we've acknowledged reality, once we've seen that a wrong has occurred, we approach the person who's offended. Jesus says to go one-on-one, and we'll say more about when that's good and when maybe you need to bring someone else and who that someone else should be. Remember, as we approach a person after an offense, we do so in the hope of healing and reconciliation. And so if you're not there hoping for reconciliation, it just might not be time for Matthew 18 to happen right now. But this is what Jesus wants to happen in that relationship within the church, within the family of God. We go one-on-one. And I just wanna say this requires immense bravery and courage. Um, It's terrifying, especially when you're not practiced in saying, this word hurt me, this action uh, was painful, it felt, it felt wrong. We, we feel an immense amount of anxiety oftentimes going into these kinds of conversations. They usually never feel comfortable and sometimes they don't even feel safe. The key for us is learning when is it safe versus unsafe? When am I just uncomfortable because this is hard versus I'm uncomfortable because this could be abusive or it could be dangerous? Here's some tips. When confronting sin, be concise. Avoid sweeping comments like you're always like this or you've never done this. Sometimes in our house we say, tell them what time it is versus how the clock is made. When we've allowed things to accumulate, oftentimes our anxiety will cause us to ramble and ramble and ramble and maybe even make sweeping statements that cause the other person to be more defensive than they even would be. And they're always, every one of us will feel somewhat defensive when we're challenged, when we're confronted, when we're um, being presented with, you've hurt me, you've wronged me. The key is to keep short accounts. But when we've allowed things to build up, 
We have to determine to start with what's before us and to keep shorter accounts moving forward versus in one fell swoop trying to make all of it land on the table at once. That's hard work and sometimes that makes the relationship turn into a kind of trench warfare relationship where we all dig in, we all become defensive. And I'm reminded as I think of this of Paul, the apostle, his admonition in Ephesians 4. And listen, listen to these words. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Isn't it interesting that after say, him saying, we must learn how to speak the truth in love, that we're growing up that we must grow up. There's a sense of an invitation to maturity, which would imply that Jesus and Paul are together on this, that in order to courageously bring up a hurt, an offense, a sin, we actually are speaking truth and love in a way that is implying a maturing process in us, a growing up, a treating scenarios of reality like adults. However, even if you speak the truth in love, it must be said that nobody loves to be challenged or rebuked. And so we have to make space for the initial reaction to be a, a less than ideal reaction. This is where when we learn to do this work, adopting a kind of golden silence, which I've never been terribly good at, an open posture, allowing the fumes of defensiveness to potentially work their way through the system to have their way so that we can actually see whether there's redemption on the other side. When someone comes to you about your sin, it's very important that you don't redirect. Oh, well, I did this. Well, you did this. Because when we do that, we're missing what's supposed to be happening in the moment, which is an exchange around an offense, a hurt. There may be and likely would be time for the reciprocity to occur, but maybe not in that precise moment. Sometimes it's best when confronted to just keep your mouth shut and learn how to listen. And that is really, really hard. Here's a disclaimer. If a person to, with whom you have experienced offense is unsafe or you worry that they're unsafe, you have to take steps to be safe. And oftentimes, I think it plays into the second movement in what Jesus describes, but for sure it can fit right here, which is to invite a kind of disinterested third party to be there. Not one who's going to pick one side or the other, but someone who can be there to bear witness. It wasn't too long ago that I had a relationship with whom there was a breakdown in relationship and a breakdown in trust. It was just really hard and really confusing. And as we were trying to figure out what it meant to do this, to like honor Jesus, neither of us felt really comfortable, not even safe, that we could find common ground. And so we sat with some dude for hours to try to hear one another. And he was like some sort of industrial psychologist of some kind. He wasn't my friend or that person's friend who's a trusted person and we just he didn't drive the conversation he held the space for us so that what needed to be said what needed to be just put out there could be put out there and that is a really important option pastors can do this usually not a close friend can do it they can't usually because they're biased counselors can do this Facilitators can do this. There are times where this next movement, when 
the one-on-one doesn't work and we take one or two others, there are times where these two can kind of meld together. Because it was not risky to have a person in the room because they were committed to seeing if there was a way forward, anonymity. And so Jesus says, if the one-on-one doesn't work, or I would add can't work, bring another person in. Here's where we quickly depart from the spirit of the teaching of Jesus. Because our temptation is, well, they didn't listen to me or they won't listen to me. So I'm going to grab like four of my friends and we're going to go destroy the person. Remember the entire intent of Matthew 18 is to move toward healing and reconciliation. So what Jesus is saying here is bring in a wise other or others who will be for healing and able to hold people accountable by just creating. Sometimes inviting another person in the room will make you behave better. It's why going to marriage counseling is really good if you're in trouble because that just that other person in the room will keep you sometimes from saying some of the really terrible stuff that we say when we're really scared. And so Jesus says, like, bring another person or two in. Again, a person or two who's not going to choose sides, who's going to be for healing in the relationship. This is where a community of people gather together to gain perspective, gather together to ensure that things are being said and being heard. Because sometimes what happens is, as a person, I'm just going to tell you, as you try to keep short accounts in your relationship, you're never going to do it very well, at least not at first, because it's terrifying. And having another person in the room ensures that you can't just be dismissed by saying, well, she didn't say it right. It's like a way for someone to bear witness. And there's so much wisdom in what Jesus is saying because he's saying essentially, I'm intensely interested in your relational life to the degree that I want to teach you how to do hard things in the hopes that things could be healed. And then finally, if all else fails, widen the circle. This is where we unplug because we just think, oh, great. I've only ever asked two people to leave our church in 20 years. One a long time ago and one relatively recently. And in both instances, it was heartbreaking. It was tragic. It was a decision made by a team of people, a community of people who are working together to say, this is a dangerous presence. This is an unsafe, unstable space for the whole church or for a significant population of the church. And it just is, it's just our job to say, you, you can't come back here. That's not what Jesus is aiming us toward. I would argue that we tend to get to breaking relationship way faster than Jesus wants us to get there. And what he's doing here is he's trying to put roadblocks, speed bumps in the way so that we don't go there too fast, too quickly. The heart of God is for us to win one another back, even if it feels complicated. He wants us to work toward and hope toward winning one another back. Because we're a part of a family, we're a part of a body. And I believe that this is one of the true invitations before each and every one of us. Now, I remember when I was uh, early in pastoral ministry, I believed in healing and I do today. I believe that Jesus wants to heal us. I, I think that the Lord doesn't just want to heal emotional hurts, but he also wants to heal our bodies. So I, I was committed to praying for the sick. But I was also scared 
So I started praying for sniffles before I, I, I was praying for terminal diseases because I was just scared. I needed to like practice in some safer waters before it became like really, really intense and really scary. And I think there's some analogy here for some of us. Some of us have something in life that you know, I've got to, I've got to face this. And you can, I'm, you can guess what my question for reflection is going to be. Is there one? But before we get there, I also want to say that while some of us are going to have to go into the deep end right now, for others of us, there may be some practice around keeping short accounts that we could engage with a partner or a friend that would feel a little safer to gain a little bit of momentum on like, how do we deal with these things when they come up? How can I say things? How can he or she hear things? I want to encourage you to start practicing this. Because if we're gonna do it when it's big, we've gotta learn how to start probably sometimes when it doesn't feel quite so intense. It's fascinating to me that our passage ends with that reference to two or three people. It started with two or three people in enmity with one another and then at the end Jesus is saying, when you gather in reality, I'm there with you. I don't know one person among us who would say, I don't want Jesus to be viscerally present in my life. We want him to be close. He would suggest that a way that he comes close is when we deal with reality and when we face conflict within the family of God. So if you want him to be present, this is a way that he becomes present. And it requires a risk. I would also say that um, if you're not sure whether it's safe, you should ask someone trusted. We have pastors and therapists and wise people that will help you discern. Because I will also say this, offenses rooted in fester over time. And the pain in this is that it's a responsibility of those of us carrying hurt to say, what do I do with this? Jesus is giving us a pathway. We want to help you discern that pathway, but it's hard work. It is, however, the work we're called to do. So here's the question I have for us. Does a particular relationship come to mind? And I would add to that. Does a particular offense in a particular relationship come to mind? And sometimes the way we begin to know this is when our reaction to a person is colored by something that was said or done that has been left unattended to, and it begins to kind of grow and solidify and crystallize. That's usually an invitation that something has been lodged that needs to be attempted to dislodge. Now, I want to say this. You are not responsible to cure all your relationships. St. Paul says, so far as it concerns you, live at peace with all people. What he was saying there is you have a part, but you don't control the whole thing. So I think what he's asking us to do is a so far as it concerns me kind of attitude when it comes to our relationships. I can't control what that other person thinks, says, or does. But I can do something so far as it concerns me. So as far as it concerns you, is there a relationship, a moment in a relationship where you have been wronged? What might the invitation be? It might be that you go and do this. It might be that you say, 
I need to name this reality for the first time to myself and God first. That's a step. It might be that you sit down with a pastor, a counselor. But I believe that for many of us, there is a step. So let's be still just for a few moments as we hold this question, these questions, and specifically ask for God's invitation to us. Then we'll come to communion together.